Father James Martin is a Jesuit priest and editor-at-large of America Magazine. His books include The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, Between Heaven and Mirth, Why Joy, Humor, and Laughter are at the Heart of the Spiritual Life, and most recently, Jesus, a Pilgrimage. Jim joins us in this episode of Let the Music Play podcast as we discuss his story into his own spiritual discovery and how joy is the music that's happening in the heart of God. Hi, I'm Ashton Gustafson, and welcome to Let the Music Play. Yeah, one of the great insights is this. Look, you know, God can work through your imagination, right? Why wouldn't God, yeah, why wouldn't God who created you you and your imagination want to work through it? Hey guys, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome back to another episode of Let the Music Play podcast. This is where we chat about what it looks like, what it feels like, and what it means to make music with your life, your relationships, and your career. I am super excited today. Uh, joining us from New York City is Father Jim Martin, and this guy, um, I've I've just recently been uh, cross paths with his writings, his teachings. Uh, I've probably watched more YouTube videos of his than than uh, you would believe over the last few days. Uh, and I just love the joy, the humility, uh, and really the beauty that this guy is uncovering with his life and his energy that he puts into the world. So with that being said, Father Jim is joining us. Father Jim, thanks so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I am so excited about this. I think there's a lot of beautiful roads we can walk down today. Um, I, I always ask people you know, that come on our show, uh, when you introduce yourself uh, and your work that you put in the world to someone, where do you begin? Well, I usually begin by saying I'm a Jesuit priest, and that means I'm a member of a Catholic religious order, probably best known for Pope Francis today. He's a Jesuit like I am. Yes. Um, I say I work for America Magazine, which is a Catholic magazine, and um, you know, and I'm a writer too. So that's kind of where I situate myself. But of course, you know, the the most important situation is I'm a Christian. I mean, that's the that's the most essential part of my identity. Uh, my baptism as a Christian, and that's kind of where it all starts from. Beautiful. And so, uh, I take it you live right there in the heart of New York City. I do, uh, right in Midtown, I guess technically the Upper West Side. We just moved our Jesuit community a few weeks ago and our office a few weeks ago, so I'm a bit uh, sort of still settling in. But yeah, in Manhattan, and uh, I enjoyed it. I've been here for about uh, 18 years now, working at America Magazine as a Jesuit. Wow, beautiful. So I'm connecting a few dots here, and and, and help me as I uh, try to connect them. But from what I've read and some places that I've listened to interviews with yourself— this wasn't always the planned path for you. Um, I think you actually worked for GE for a while, maybe out, out of school, out of college. Um, and I don't want to steal thunder from this story, but uh, <laughs> you 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 were in an apartment. There was something on TV with Thomas Merton. You take it from there. Yeah, no, that's, that's very accurate. Uh, I went to the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania, and I studied finance. We used to say finance, not finance. That's was right. more uh, was more classy. <laughs> and uh, I took a job with GE in their international finance and accounting department in New York City in 1982. And, you know, it was lots of fun being a 21, 22-year-old kid in, in Manhattan with a lot of money in the 1980s. And then took a job with GE Capital, which was their financial services arm in Stanford, Connecticut, a little farther north. 
And, you know, for a while it was really exciting and I really thought the business was for me, but eventually I started to realize that I was just in the wrong place. Business is a real vocation, you know, as you know, probably for a lot of your listeners, but it just wasn't for me. Right. And yeah, I just, I came home one night and I just didn't know what to do. I mean, I was sort of struggling with, you know, what you would call today or what I would call vocation questions. I wouldn't have used that language back then. And I came home sort of miserable after a crummy day of work and I, turned on the TV and there was a documentary about a Trappist monk named Thomas Merton. I had no idea who Thomas Merton was. And, but the, the documentary was so interesting and the, the idea of living in a monastery and praying and devoting your life to God that I went out and I got a copy of his book and uh, the seven story mountain, his autobiography. And that led me to just thinking about changing everything. It was a real conversion experience. Uh, Nothing really emotional, but just this kind of insight that there are other ways to live your life. And mm. so that was really the beginning of my my conversion, if you will. So here you are in an apartment in your, what, mid to late 20s? Yeah, actually, I can tell you, 25 years old. 25, yeah. okay. And a documentary comes on about a Trappist monk named Thomas Merton, mm-hmm. who, by the way, it there, there's a trend that everyone that I uh, would say... I end up finding synonymous paths with Merton kind of begins that for a lot of us. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what it was about uh, Merton, but uh, he sure has a way of bringing us in and pulling back the veil, I think is a good way to put it. Um, Well, he's so, he's so honest in his writing and you know, it's, it's an old book. It's 1948, the seven story mountain, but you know, he's a seeker and you know, there's so many seekers and I think they connect with him on that level, even if they're not Catholic. That's a good word, a seeker. Yeah, absolutely. It's why I've been drawn to him. Of course, then there's No Man is an Island, mm-hmm. um, and the list goes on mm-hmm. uh, of, of his mm-hmm. works. So, um, okay, so this, I, I guess, what happens then? I mean, you just say, okay, I want to become a priest? <laughs> I mean, because I, I have no yeah, idea right. where, where that leads from there. Well, yeah, that's right, because that wasn't the first sort of reaction. The first reaction was... You know, if you imagine here I am at 25, stuck in my mind in this rather, uh, you know, dull job without any, by the way, real religious background. I mean, I was, I grew up Catholic and I was baptized and all that, but I didn't really know much about the Bible or, uh, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or religious life or prayer or anything. And he sees this documentary about life in a monastery that just seems so beautiful, kind of romantic, (laughs) you know, and really you know, they pray and it's really quiet and it's so pretty. And so I read the book and I started to think, boy, you know, his way of living is a lot more appealing than my way of living. And really to use some, uh, contemporary spiritual language, you know, God was working on me through my desires. Hmm. You know, God was attracting me. And I think this is the primary way that God works is through your deep desires. You know, Hmm. what do you want to be? Who do you want to be? And that's what was going on, although I wouldn't have been able to identify it in that way. And so I read more and more of the, those books, and I uh, I talked to my local parish priest, and I said, I think I'd like to think about being a priest. And, you know, he had no idea who I was. <laughs> so he said, you might want to talk to the local seminary, which I did, and then you might want to talk to the Jesuits who were up the street at Fairfield University in Connecticut. I didn't know what a Jesuit was. And gotcha. so, yeah, so I went up and I talked to them. And. At the beginning, it seemed really odd, and I put it away, and over the next year or two, I started to think about it and read about it, and 
finally someone asked me, you know, after two years of just sort of this percolating, what would you do if you could do anything you wanted to do? And I said, I'd be a Jesuit. And I was actually a therapist I was seeing because I was so stressed out. And this therapist said, well, why don't you be a Jesuit? And I said, yeah, why don't I? (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I was doing everything to kind of please everybody else. So, So looking back, I can see a young man who was led very strongly through his desires. Uh, Mm. But at the time, it was just more kind of this is really appealing to me and I want to explore it, which is, you know, that's after all, that's how God works. I mean, imagine the first disciples, you know, Jesus says, follow me. And, you know, they're they they want to follow this guy. There's something about him. And so Mm -hmm. that's the way God works, I think, through Mm -hmm. your desires. Mm -hmm. What um, in your mid 20s, what was the was that a did that feel like a leap? Did that feel like a oh, yeah. big sense of unknown? I mean, I'm just kind of going through, uh, oh, re- yeah. replaying that story in my head. What was that like? Oh, well, you know, I need to sort of situate this. I was not a particularly religious or, you know, depending on your terminology, devout or observant mm-hmm. Christian. I mean, I wasn't a, I wasn't some hardened criminal. I wasn't going and murdering people. But, you know, I, I went to mass, you know, most Sundays, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't think I ever prayed other than to ask for things. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so my family and my friends were horrified, frankly, they thought I was wow. crazy. And I remember going to a friend of mine who was a um, congregationalist, so big uh, UCC church, you know, big in, the, in New England, uh, you know, like the pilgrims mm-hmm. and uh, very devout, very wonderful uh, guy. I'm very friendly with him and he was very active in his church. And, um, I said to him, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave and I'm joining the Jesuits. So I'm going to be a priest. And he sat me down. He was about a year or two older than I was. And he said, this seems really rash. And I said, no, it's really what I want to do. And he said, I think you should see a therapist. And I said, I'll never forget this. Well, I am seeing a therapist. And he said, I think you should see another therapist. <laughs> <laughs> He's still one of my closest friends. Wow. And, you know, because no one had anticipated it, I certainly had anticipated it. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like uh, sort of insane to a lot mm-hmm. of people. And, you know, for about six months to a year, most people thought I was off my rocker. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, you know, here I am 28 years later. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, it was totally, and, and I and I feel like a lot of people um, in that you, you start asking those bigger questions, yeah. late twenties, early thirties, of like, exactly. sh- surely there's more. Surely this is all headed somewhere, and I hope it's headed somewhere good. And how can I be a part of that? Um, well, I can only imagine the uh, the bravery, the courage uh, to to kind of face that whole new. You know, it was a one eighty turn. Um, well, part of it was part of it was also being really unsatisfied or dissatisfied with uh, my current life. So gotcha. it was not only the appeal of that. And you know, I sometimes wonder. I was just in, in the Holy Land. I just came back a week ago from uh, Galilee and Judea, and uh, you know, I, me- I remember thinking about you know being on the Sea of Galilee and thinking, you know, Peter and Andrew and James and John, you know, they followed Jesus to be, you know fishers of men or fishers of people, depending on the translation. Right. But you wonder, James and John, someone said to me, may have been sick of their father's business. Huh. <laughs> so it may not have been simply the... Follow me. Sort of, 
to follow me, but also, yeah. you know, I, I want something else. I'm not, I'm dissatisfied. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. a kind of, it's a, it's a pull and a push. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but who knows, you know, who knows, yeah. but I think that's the way it is in a lot of people's lives. They're dissatisfied and that's good. It's, it's a kind of longing for more, which I think is a kind of holy longing. That dissatisfaction can, can be a very godly nudge. Yeah. Well, that, that great quote from St. Augustine, which I love, uh, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee, O Lord. Yeah. You know, that restlessness and that desire for more uh, is is a is a reflection of the fact that you feel like you know your current life is is not satisfying. So so that's an important piece of it too. I was really dissatisfied with where my life was going, and it mm-hmm. didn't seem to be going anywhere, frankly. Wow, wow. So you the path you choose uh, in Catholicism is to join the Jesuits. Now, <clears throat> by my very amateur study in, into this, um, the Jesuits basically were following the teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. Is that right? Mm-hmm. That's correct. Yeah. And um, basically, the real beauty, I think, that that I've been able, just from, as an outsider looking in, has been this idea that God is God is everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. There's no separation between the sacred and the profane. It's the ground's holy. It's all holy. Um, am I on off there? T- tell me about. That's absolutely Saint- no. Yeah. That's that's absolutely right. Uh, the the sort of the classic formulation of Jesuit spirituality is finding God in all things. Now that means that in every relationship, in every moment of the day, God is inviting you to experience God's presence. So conversations, relationship, nature, music, work, right? Where is God sort of inviting you to, to sort of notice? That's the spirituality. Now, the religious order that Ignatius founded called the Jesuits, uh, it's basically a community, I always like to say, a community of priests and brothers who live together. We take vows of poverty, which means we own nothing, uh, chastity, which means we don't get married, obviously, and obedience, which means we're obedient to our superiors who kind of tell us where to go and what jobs to do. And we do all sorts of things. We're probably best known in uh, the United States for our schools. So right. for our, you know, Georgetown, Boston College, uh, Fordham, all the all the great, uh, you know, March Madness schools, as a matter <laughs> of fact, you know, Gonzaga, yeah. um, uh, high schools, you know, high schools, uh, you know, Jesuit High School in Dallas, yeah. um, Strake, Strake Jesuit High School, uh, you know, so... We're usually known as educators, but we run the Jesuit Refugee Service. We have retreat houses. We help out in parishes. We have Jesuits who are physicians and poets and astronomers, and I'm a writer. And so St. Ignatius's idea was, you know, if God can be found in all things, then, you know, we can help people find God in all areas and in all professions and in all ways. And so we're, we're we kind of we kind of do everything. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, we're priests and, and brothers. And before— Pope Francis, um, most people wouldn't understand what a Jesuit was. So we're, mm. that's another reason to be happy for Pope Francis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so and the spirituality is finding God at all things, trying to be free and not letting anything get in between us and God. And, and also finally helping people to be, which is maybe why it appealed to you, a contemplative in action. Right. You know, a contemplative in an active world and in an active life. And so this isn't a, um, I, I guess the Jesuits... Maybe, maybe some do, but more than being in, in a monastery or somewhere far off, you guys engage culture, engage the world. Um, 
go, you know, the, once again, there's no separation of sacred and profane. I think that was really St. Saint, Saint Ignatius's big thing is go out, be with people, be hands and feet. That's absolutely right. And his great line uh, to St. Francis Xavier, one of the great um, Catholic missionaries, was go and set the world on fire. Hmm. Uh, you know, go out and and meet people where they are. And you see a lot of that in Pope Francis. I mean, he's very much about a culture of, en- a culture of encounter. And, you know, there's different ways of being Christian. I mean, there are, you know, there's lots of different ways. You can be, obviously, a mother or father. You can be a pastor. You can you can be in a monastery. But our way is to kind of be out in the world. And that's one reason why St. Ignatius settled in Rome in a big city, not on, you know, on a mountainside, you know, or a hilltop in a monastery. Gotcha. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just, it's, it's his way. And that's the way that the Jesuits are called to kind of be in the world. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, <clears throat> now, one thing that that's really drawn me in um, with the Ignatian spirituality is uh, the concept of spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that probably a lot of pe- a lot of our listeners may um, may not be really familiar with this practice. And mm-hmm. Saint Saint Ignatius also um, really kind of had a lot of the maybe the ideas or the concepts behind different types of spiritual exercises, practices, and so forth, uh, which we can get into. Um, you want to share a little bit about what is spiritual direction and who it's for? Sure. Uh, I would say it's for everybody. It's for all believers, anyone who prays. And it's essentially helping someone notice where God is active in their prayer and in their daily life. So it's very simple. Uh, you know, it, it helps to be trained. But, you know, for example, usually you see your spiritual director once a month. I have maybe about 10 or 15 people who come to me for direction. And, and what do you talk about? Well, what's your prayer like? What's going on in your prayer? You know, well, it's kind of dry lately. Really? Well, anything happening in your prayer? Well, yeah. You know, the other day I was I was praying about um, the call of the first disciples, and I really felt this, this sort of strong desire to be with Jesus or to be closer to Jesus. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's let's notice that. Mm-hmm. How about in your daily life? You know, what's going on? Well, you know, um, I've fallen in love and I really feel God is sort of drawing me to this woman. We're, you know, thinking of getting married. So so it's where is God uh, and, and how is God active? And wh- why do you need a spiritual director? Um, basically because, and this has been borne out a zillion times in my life, <laughs> it's much easier to see where God is at work in someone else's life. It just is. Wow. I mean— that doesn't mean you can't do it. Obviously, you know, I'm sure you are aware yourself, you know, where God is at work, but to have someone kind of point you and to sort of just basically help you notice, that's a mm-hmm. great word mm-hmm. and invite you to say, you know, Hey Ashton, do you think that this might be God? Do you think mm-hmm. that your desire for more, I mean, the very desire that you have for a more prayerful life, you know, I would say, where do you think that's coming from? Mm-hmm. And you say, well, gee, I don't know. Well, well, who do you think's drawing you to that? And you mm-hmm. say, well, God. And, you know, just to, to, to be able to articulate, wow, I never thought of God actually himself drawing me to prayer. That's really helpful. And mm-hmm. that can make you feel, you know, more excited about your prayer. And it just gives you a different perspective on God. So that so that kind of noticing is what a director helps uh, people to do. Love it. And and some of these prayer practices when, you know, I, I know that a lot of people are like, how's your prayer life? And Say, yeah. oh, well, I, I don't, I don't pray much. These are the, the types of prayers that um, the Jesuits really, 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 I think, beautifully 
have have brought to life um, mm-hmm. are kind of these contemplative prayer practices where you you may read a scripture, you you envision yourself in the mm-hmm. midst of that story. You want to share on that a little bit? Yeah, it's really powerful. Now, here's the thing: there, I always say to people, there's no right way to pray. Yeah. Right. So if, if you just like sitting with your your Bible and kind of being quiet with God over a certain or a phrase, fine. That's that's great. You know, mm-hmm. sort of content less prayer where you're mm-hmm. just sort of being in God's presence. If you like wrote prayers, if you like praying the Lord's prayer, fine. Uh, that's great. If if you like sort of walking in nature, that's fine. The the traditional Jesuit way of praying is as you say, imagining yourself in a scripture scene. And that is, you know, using your imagination to place yourself in a particular scene. Let's, since we've been talking about it, let's talk about the call of the first disciples. You know, you imagine what does it look like? All right, what does the seashore by the Sea of Galilee look like? What do the disciples look like? What does Jesus look like? What do you, so what do you see? What do you hear? You know, do you hear the waves? Do you hear the wind? What does Jesus' voice sound like? What do you feel? You know, what are you wearing? You know, if you're kind of in this scene, what do you smell? I mean, funny enough, you know, if you were, hanging out with fishermen by their boats, you'd smell some fish. Um, and what do you taste? You know, what do you taste might not work in every meditation, but you know, if you're at the feeding of the 5,000 or the last supper, you're going to taste some things. And you basically just, it, 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 St. Ignatius calls it composing the place, you know, and composing initially people, yeah, yeah. Like actually creating it. And like it. One, yeah, one of the great insights is this, look, you know, God can work through your imagination, right? Let's Why go. wouldn't God, yeah, why wouldn't God who created you, you and your imagination want to work through it? And so what happens is people enter into that space. Um, it doesn't always, quote unquote, work, and it's not for everybody. But very frequently, people find themselves deeply moved by something that happens in their prayer or arises in prayer. You know, for example, I had a young man come to me years ago and said he was praying to call the first disciples. And he was far off. And he saw the disciples, you know, 200 yards away. And he had this desire to join the apostles. I thought, well, that's interesting. And, you know, that's something that doesn't come normally when you're hearing a scripture proclaimed or preached or when you're just sort of reading it straight, you know, for information or for inspiration. So so that's composition of place or what we also call Ignatian contemplation can be really powerful for people. Really, really powerful. And here's what I love. This isn't, um, I love the imagination side of it. I -hmm. love that it's not, uh, this isn't a prayer of where you're asking the triune God to do something for you, right? This is, this is more of like, you're being uh, with God, You're being with God. It's, it's increasing awareness of the presence of God everywhere and everything. And when you can put yourself into, uh, such a setting, you really learn the beautiful heartbeat of God, I think. And in, in every day, it's a different, it's a different awareness. Well, that's right. And, and it is, you know, there's nothing wrong with petitionary prayer. There's nothing wrong with asking for things. I always remind people, the Our Father says, give us this day. I mean, you know, you're asking for something. Yeah. But, but there's a way with um, prayer, I think, sometimes that if our relationship, imagine it like with a friend. If your relationship with your friend was nothing except asking for stuff. <laughs> you know, what kind of relationship is that? So yeah. imagine that you and I are friends and all you do is call me up and say, you know, can you, you know, kind of give me a ride to work? Can you help me pay my house? Yeah. Can you give me five bucks? You know, at some point that's important, but at some point it would be, hey, why don't we just spend some time together, right? right? And that's what you're doing in the scriptures. And 
it it really, I mean, believe you me, it really shocks people the kinds of things that they notice. Mm -hmm. Can I give you a quick example? Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, leading a group of um, teachers, uh, Catholic school teachers in in this Ignatian contemplation, and we did the feeding of the 5,000. And if you remember one of the Gospels, I think it's John, where the boy comes up. Remember, there's Mm -hmm. a boy here with, you know, a few loaves and some fishes. And, you know, as I sort of led them in this meditation, uh, afterwards I asked the teachers what they thought, and this woman said, I had no idea, I never saw, in a sense, that boy before. Hmm. And she said, and I realized how few things he had brought and how I, you know, sometimes think, well, what I bring to God is really insufficient, but how Jesus was able to multiply this. Hmm. Now, you can hear that in a, in a sermon or you right. can read that in, in a devotional, but it's quite something else to have that sort of dawn on you on your own mm-hmm. and have it be your own insight. And that's, that's what's so powerful. And of course, who is giving her that insight? That insight's coming from God. That's right. You know? yeah. The Bible is, you know, I always say the living word and it's alive and sort of it, it can be encountered that way. So it's a really, it's a really powerful way of, of, uh, of encountering the Lord. And, and when you leave those those types of uh, moments of stillness, contemplation, and being in the scene, um, don't you don't you notice a more sense of uh, beauty, surrender, joy? It, it's like it, it follows you once you've taken time out of your day to be in those type of scenes and then go back into the world. Well, that's a great insight. Yeah, that's a great insight. And uh, that's one that's not normally commented upon. Yes, I think any time spending God's presence, mm-hmm. you know, sort of calms you and centers you and makes you more grateful. But I would say also, uh, it's it also reminds you that, that Jesus uh, or God or however you're sort of approaching this um, is with you in a particular way. And mm-hmm. so when you, like, for example, when Ashton or this woman, this teacher has an experience, it's very personal. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's not simply God who loves all of us. It's God who loves Ashton or it's God who loves this woman or it's God who has come to me personally in prayer, which can be very consoling. It's that it's that, you know, uh, you know, which Protestants like to talk about personal relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. But it's from the other side. It's Mm -hmm. Jesus has a personal relationship with you. Right. right, which is really, which is really striking, and I mean, you know, he calls he calls the disciples by name. He goes up to them and he calls us by name, and that's one way. Yeah. In that prayer, you can experience that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Uh, we need the as many reminders of that presence with us uh, as we can get. Yeah, I'll um, say. So okay, love it. So spiritual. If if someone's like interested in spiritual direction, maybe they're they live in California or Colorado. I don't know. Um, how would you? Uh, where would you direct them to say, hey, you want to learn more about this, or you may want to, you know, tiptoe into this. Here's where you could go. Yeah, there are a couple places. I think the best place to start would be a local retreat house. You okay. know, where they yep. they are sort of trained to do this. I, I have to say that it's it's important to get someone who's trained because it is a, it is a skill and. Um, you know, you can't just go to someone who said, oh, you know, I, I pray all the time. Let me help you. I mean, it really is a kind of skill. Yep. And so a retreat house would have many, many retreat directors and spiritual directors. Uh, I would say contact your nearest uh, Jesuit, you know, community or Jesuit college or university. But also there's a website called Spiritual Directors International. 
uh, you know, for people, you know, all over the, the United States. But but I think retreat houses are a good place to start. Awesome. There is a there is a growing uh, desire for it, so I think it, it does sometimes take a few weeks or a few months to find a good one. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. Um, okay, now this I'm I'm excited to move into this next uh, thing because um, if it's true that uh, we can find God in all things, uh, you've really spearheaded and and been a leader in the space of like social media uh, for spirituality for the things of God, and it's it's been a really awesome thing to watch because I think a lot of people when they think priest they don't connect it with up with the modern times and things like that I'm, <laughs> that's I'm, for I'm, sure. I'm chasing words that's for here sure. uh, no, that's but, true <laughs> but something they like that, don't, they, they certainly don't think Twitter and Instagram and Facebook that's for sure that, that's right but yeah. you have said hey um, if if there's eyeballs in this space then surely there's a way to find the divine in it. Um, and and you've, like, I just want you to kind of share some things. I know you've done, like, homilies on social media. You've done mm-hmm. Sermon on the Mount on Twitter, something like that, yeah. once before. Um, what have you been doing in that space? Well, I mean, the, the key is this. You know, when Jesus uh, preached, first of all, he did not sit on his rear end in Nazareth or Capernaum. I mean, sometimes people came to him, but most of the times he went out. And how did he speak to them? He spoke to them in parables, which were, as you know, you know, drawn from nature or everyday life. Very simple stories talking about birds and wheat and seeds and clouds. You know, he's speaking to people in a language they can understand and in a medium they can understand. So the medium was the parable. You know, the medium that, you know, I'm using today, I mean, in addition to writing and books and things like that, are is social media. So, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and using things like, you know, videos. Uh, I'll put meditations up on Facebook, a picture, prayers, you know, in language that people can understand and in a, in a, in a form, in a medium that they can understand. And so I always say to people, it's kind of my joke, um, you know, if it was not beneath Jesus uh, to talk about the birds of the air, then it is not beneath us to tweet. Right. I mean, absolutely. You know, because so many of us think that, you know, we have to speak to people in these kind of lofty theological languages. And then sometimes that's appropriate, of course. You know, I'm not taking anything away from that. But look at Jesus. I mean, in the synoptics, at least. I mean, John, he's a little more elevated. But most of the time he's talking about, hey, you know, a farmer went out to sow. And I mean, if Jesus can talk like that in stories, why should we think it's beneath us to spread the gospel using social media? So, and, and besides, as you were saying, um, that's where they are. Yep. I mean, so yep. Jesus Jesus went to where people were, too. He went all over Galilee. He preached in their synagogues, and he, he went to where they were. I mean, it's pretty simple, yeah. and that's what we should be doing, too. So that, that's my motivation. So Jesus shows up talking to farmers about, hey, unless the grain of wheat dies, uh, nothing else is going to happen here. Um and so for you guys, you move, you move into the neighborhood, right? I know, I know, I think Eugene Peterson in, in John, he translates that, uh, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and it moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that great? Or, um, or, or, or pitched its tent among us, which pitched, is, yeah, let's right. go. So good. But you know, the, the other thing is I always say to people, look, Jesus met, uh, the disciples where they were in two ways. One literal, he went to where they were. He went from Nazareth to Capernaum, right? He did, he went, he walked, yeah. but he also met them. You know, you were talking about how he talks to farmers. He's speaking to a farmer in a farmer's language. And when he speaks to the fishermen, what does he say? Yeah. He doesn't say. Let's go he doesn't fish. say. A, yeah, he doesn't say. He doesn't say a carpenter. What a carpenter would say is, "Let's build something, or let's yeah. sand something down, or let's build the reign of God." 
he speaks to them in their language, which is really striking. You know, come after me and I will make you fish for men. Yeah. So, so he, he just uh, that to, to grasp that, to grasp that the carpenter from landlocked Nazareth is speaking to the fishermen about fish is to remind us that we need to speak to people in their own languages. And, you know, not only in, you know, English and French and Spanish, but I mean, in, in a way that they can understand. And, and often today that is in social media. Yeah. Love it. <clears throat> Another thing that I've loved about, um, the Jesuits and yourself as well, uh, is, you know what, the, so much of your work and your energy points towards joy, like true joy. And um, it's like the themes of joy and laughter and humor. They kind of they kind of run through your work, uh, your commencement addresses that you've given at places. Mm-hmm. You know, it's you're not Father Jim Martin, prim and proper. Mm-hmm. You know, you uh, God's unlocked joy inside of you. And I think that's that's part of the good news that you're bringing as well is hey, um, the gospel isn't rules and fill in the blank and and stay in line and speak when spoken to. There's joy at the end of this runway. Um, yeah, and, and there's you joy talk at the end of the story. Yeah. yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, you know, I always say to people, hey, guess what? Christ is risen. Yeah, game over. <laughs> I mean, there it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, so we, we, the, why, why do we have, and I wrote a book called Between Heaven and Earth about, you know, joy in the spiritual life. Now, why do we have this idea of Christianity as grumpy? I think a number of reasons. One, I think the, the gospel writers needed to focus so much on the passion to kind of explain that to people because it was so shocking to people hmm. that we, that, that they tended to sort of downplay some of the other parts of Jesus's life that were more joyful. But, you know, remember he says, you know, you're calling me a glutton and a drunkard. Now, what is that? That's Jesus repeating a critique against him that he was living it up, basically. <laughs> Tying it as, on. As, yeah, as one of my <laughs> as one of my scripture professors said. So, you know, he's a man of joy. Uh, you know, he 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 tells clever stories and funny parables. There's a great one of my favorite illustrations is you remember the line where he says to the Pharisees, "You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel," right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, in Aramaic. I discovered this uh, about six months ago. The word for camel is gamla, I think, and the word for gnat is galma. So he's saying you strain out a galma and you swallow a gamla. He's making a little pun. Right. So, right. you know, this is a guy who's not above a little wordplay, a little fun, um, whose first miracle for Pete's sakes is to make more alcohol at a party. <laughs> and, well, you know, it sounds funny. I mean, I'm glad you're laughing, but it's true. Right. I mean, that's his right. first miracle. This, this party doesn't need to end right now. And he's keeping Yeah, going. I mean, he doesn't. You know, he doesn't make more books, right? right? Or say, all right, let's let's make something more depressing. Uh, no, I mean he, it's you know, and the wedding, he, all the all the images he uses of the reign of God, you know, the wedding banquet, yes. you know, for example. Yeah. So we have to recover that, and and I think that's really essential for particularly for young people because who would want to join a group of miserable people, mm-hmm. right? I mean, who you know, frankly, let's put it this way. This is I've never quite put it this way, but. <laughs> Who would want to join the disciples on Holy Saturday, you know, locked behind closed doors? <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, come and join our community. We have no hope. We right. are locked behind closed doors and we're fearful. I mean, you know, forget that. Yeah. But who wants to join, you know, uh, Peter and Mary Magdalene who are running from the tomb and so excited and so overjoyed and, you know, and, and sort of they can't contain themselves. That's mm-hmm. that's a group I want to join. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I think, you know, they'll know we're Christians, not only by our love, but by our joy as well. So absolutely. Christ has risen is the most important part of my spirituality. Uh, and, and Easter really 
he's just the whole he's just the whole reason yeah. for everything. The tomb's empty. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which is you know, as a friend of mine likes to say, you know, uh you remind your face that it is good news. <laughs> 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 oh, the other great man. thing is this that you have to laugh at sort of, you know, the kind of pomposity on the uh, you know, the the kind of um you know, overblown egos of a lot of religious people. And my, my, my own spiritual director says, which I love, uh, there's good news and there's better news. Do you know this one? There's good news and there's better news. Let's hear it. Yeah. The good news is that there is a Messiah. The better news is it's not you. <laughs> <laughs> That's also the joy that comes with That's knowing right. that you're not the center of the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love it. That's where all of our work belongs is in the ego yeah. anyway. Yeah, I uh, know. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so good. So that's so if people want to learn more about that, those concepts of joy, laughter, and humor, Between Heaven and Mirth is that book. Um, and then you've got another book uh, that I'm not sure when it, when it came out, uh, Seven Last Words. When did you release that? Yeah, that came out last year. It's, that's a little more somber. Uh, that's about the seven last words or phrases that Jesus utters on the cross on Good Friday. Um, that's, that's a little more, you know, kind of heavy. It's about hey, it's how we think both God and. Is well, both and is right. And yeah. then I, uh, the book that um, I think people would uh, be able to find more about Jesuit spirituality is called The Jesuit Guide. Uh, and then I have a book called Jesus, a pilgrimage, which is, you know, my sort of take on the life of Christ. So oh, awesome. yeah, those are good places to start. Beautiful. So one thing I, I always ask, um, people, uh, especially people I look up to you being in that category, father Jim, Thanks. um, yeah. what, what's currently keeping you curious? You're, you're in the center of one of the busiest cities in the world. Uh, you see a lot of things. Um, what, what keeps you curious? What keeps me curious? Now you're going to laugh at this response. <laughs> no, let's but, go. Uh, yeah, what keeps me curious is Jesus. I have a kind of insatiable go. desire to know as much as I can about Jesus. Wow. And I I think that comes from God. I, I used to think it was a little odd, but then I realized, well, wait a minute. I, <laughs> yeah. I am a Jesuit priest, and so I see it as a kind of gift. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just give you one brief thing. I mentioned that thing about uh, gnats and camels. Um you know, when I was in the Holy Land two weeks ago, uh, someone pointed out this really beautiful thing to me, which is that uh, there's a – in Capernaum, there are these ruins, first century ruins. And um, I just thought this was such a beautiful story I have to share it with you. Yeah. And uh, a couple of years ago, there were some excavators digging in a house in Capernaum, and they came upon a Roman bath. And – they thought, well, why would there be a Roman bath in this house? It's a Jewish town. Everybody was a Jew back then in, in Capernaum, Jewish fishermen and tradesmen and whatnot. And they said, well, who could have possibly had a, a Roman bath? And they realized the centurion, you know, the Roman centurion mm -hmm. who Jesus meets, who says, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, right? Huh. And when the excavators realized whose house they were standing and they had to stop to pray, wow. right? The, the, this, is the, this is the house. You know, uh, you know that 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 is mentioned. You know, in the Gospels. And what's the point of that? The point of that is to remind us and to remind me that you know these are real places, and Jesus came into a real time and met real people. You know, who lived in real houses. You know, Capernaum still there. The Sea of Galilee is still there. And I think one of the things that is most fascinating to me, ask me what keeps me curious, is this idea of the historical Jesus. Obviously, the Christ of faith. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But but the guy who 
walked around in this place. And, and the more we can know about him and his life and times and what life in Capernaum was like, that's what I tried to do in my Jesus book to try to unpack that. The more we can understand what he was doing and what he was trying to do. So I, mm-hmm. I am endlessly curious about what's called the historical Jesus. Yeah. And how compelling when you dial into all of his teaching is trying to point us to how things are. Yep. Um, that just know that Jesus is always trying to bring reality to reality. Say, no, 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 this is, this is how reality works. Um, yeah. and, and I'm with you. Um, I've always found Jesus and his story so, so compelling. Well, and imagine being back in, I always think, imagine being in Galilee or mm-hmm. Judea, seeing this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, I also had an interesting experience. Um, I'll just very quickly, uh, I was on a boat in the Sea of Galilee and I was, it was very windy. And I imagined what would it have been <laughs> like, yeah, what would it have been like for the apostles to yeah. see this guy stand up and stop the wind and waves? Yeah. And I thought, I actually felt sorry for them for the first time. Wow. Well, I mean, you can imagine, you know, uh, it must have been terrifying. Mm -hmm. And they say, you know, who is this then that even the wind and the waves obey him? Uh, You know, I say, you you feel terror, you feel sorry for these guys. Everybody makes fun of the apostles as if they're, you know, they're kind of dumb and they don't get it. But it must have been, you know, completely impossible to take all that in. Yeah. Until you're out in the middle of it and the wind's blowing. Yeah. So (laughs) so to, to to sort of have a sense of, of, of what it was like for the people back then and have a sense of, uh, you know, in a sense, compassion for that. Yeah, it's it's yeah. what I think it really fills in some of the gaps in the story. Yeah. Love it. So as we wrap up, um, I always ask everyone this as well, too. What advice would you give to your younger self? <laughs> That's a great. Oh, uh, yeah. Stop worrying so much about what people think about you. Stop worrying about what people think about you. Yeah. Yeah. That was that, a big jump. That, that mid twenties, you, you learned a lot in that moment. <laughs> I did. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you an interesting experience. I had in prayer very briefly. I was praying this composition of place in the, uh, rejection at Nazareth. Remember where Jesus mm-hmm. is kicked out of the synagogue. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying to Jesus in my prayer, you know, how could you do that? I could never do something like that. Stand up and, you know, say those things. And in my prayer, I heard Jesus, not physically, of course, but I I sort of intuited Jesus saying, does everyone have to like you? Uh (laughs) And I thought, you know, he's able to do that. He's able to be bold and proclaim himself because he's not that worried about what people think about him. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what I tell my younger self. (laughs) It would save save me a lot of agita. Yeah. That's a good word. Man. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been a blast. I, I, um... Just again, I'm so grateful for you and your work, your hands in the world. It's been a great light for me. Uh, I'm hopeful that this will be uh, a great light for all of our listeners, and they'll definitely dive into your writings, your teachings, and so forth. If um, if we want to send them to specific places to to find you and more about what you're doing, where's the best pl- uh, place to go? Your website? Yeah, I think um, my Facebook page, which is Father James Martin SJ, um, it should come up pretty quickly. Um, I'm on Twitter at James Martin SJ. I'm on Instagram at James Martin SJ, uh, SJ for Society of Jesus. So I think if you Google me, you can come up with Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter, and then that'll take you to the books and things like that. Yeah, all your books can be found everywhere. 
great books. Everywhere are sold. good books are sold, as they say, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And bad, and, and everywhere bad books are sold too. <laughs> <laughs> See, there's that humor again. This is what I love. So, um, man, I hope I can shake your hand one day. Uh, I hope I'm, so too. If I'm ever in New York, I'm going to look you up. Please do. Um, and uh, again, maybe maybe a year or so down the road, let's come full circle and get in some new dialogues. I'm fresh into this discovery, uh, and I feel like the Jesuits have a whole lot of beauty uh, to bring to all of us across all boundaries, faiths, and you name it. Uh, I think there's a lot of joy and beauty there to uncover. Well, thanks, my friend. Great to be with you, too. Okay, Jim, we'll talk soon. All right, God all bless. Right. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Father Jim as much as I did. He is an absolutely beautiful soul that is leading a great life of light. Make sure you go online, follow his work, uh, buy some of these books. You can find them on Amazon. You can find his website, jamesmartin.hc.com. And on Instagram, it's jamesmartinsj. And as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebird sing, and be love. Hey, I wanted to invite you to a weekend I'm going to be hosting at my home in Waco, Texas. This weekend is going to be revolving around the study of the Enneagram. You guys have heard me speak about this before. Uh, I have found the Enneagram to be one of the most powerful and insightful tools for understanding ourselves and others. At its core, the Enneagram really helps us to see ourselves at a deeper more objective level, and it can also be just invaluable assistance on our path to self-knowledge. We're bringing in Chris Hewitts from the Gravity Center. You guys have heard Chris and his wife, Felina, on the podcast. Uh, He's one of the nation's foremost experts in the space of the Enneagram. It's just going to be a great weekend of uh, personal reflection, uh, hopefully personal discovery, uh, and really uh, my hope is that it helps refuel all of us at the soul level to go out uh, and do our work, uh, our good and necessary work in the world. It's going to be Friday, June the 16th through Saturday, June the 17th. It's going to be a very uh, small group, limited to 20 of us, but it's going to be a great time. Make sure you go to my website for all information, ashtongustafson.com. Hope to see you there. Today's episode is brought to us by Holsty. Holsty explores what it means to live a life of intention and reflection through art, words, and action. Through their monthly subscription, Holsty examines themes inspired by the science of mindfulness, positive psychology, and ancient philosophy. Each month, subscribers receive letterpress prints illustrated by emerging artists, along with action lists and digital toolkits, encouraging further exploration and reflection. Holsty's journey began in 2009 with the viral popularity of their company manifesto, a call to arms around how their founders define success. They couldn't have imagined how much these words would resonate around the world. The Holsty Manifesto was called the next Just Do It by the Washington Post. It's been translated into 13 languages and has received an estimated 100 million social media views. With the encouragement of their global community, they developed the monthly Holsty subscription to help people put the words of the manifesto into action. Be sure to go to Holsty.com slash Ashton and use the checkout code Ashton, A-S-H-T-O-N, to get your first month's free of the Holsty subscription.